0: Life is a series of moving from one thing to the next. It's about exploring any corners we so choose, whether that means traveling the world, poring over books at home, or creating a family. Humans experience time as linear, and each day carries us deeper into our own private explorations of life. I started studying astrology six years ago, and a year ago I started this podcast as a way to take my astrology learnings out of the books out of my mind, and into the world. After years of preparation, including my studies with the Center for Psychological Astrology, as well as Chris Brennan's Professional Astrologer course, I'm finally ready to enter the next chapter and begin giving readings. I am so incredibly excited to be doing it, and the time feels especially ripe as my progressed moon wraps up its Pisces return on May 22nd, carrying me into Aries. It's also the first full day of Gemini season, and I'm a Gemini, and both these events are happening at the dawn of my Saturn return. If you've been thinking of getting an astrology reading, please do not hesitate to email me to ask questions or book. You can find all info for this at inkblotastrology.com. The readings are all done over Zoom. They start at $50 for a single specific question and go up to $75 for an hour-long chart consultation. I also offer sliding scale because I know the pandemic has made things difficult for so many of us. And I wanted you guys, my listeners, to be the first to hear about my new practice. From emailing me feedback, liking social media posts, signing up for the Patreon, you guys have really motivated me to keep pushing myself. And as a thank you, I want to offer one free hour-long session. So to enter to win the session, just visit my Instagram. My handle is at inkblot underscore astro and find the post I'll be making on May 20th. Just make sure you're following the account and then tag two friends in the comments of the post and I'll include your username on a list that I'll randomly draw from. In this sweet news, there's also a touch of bitterness as I'll have to gently place this podcast on the shelf while I get things rolling with my readings. It won't be forever. I'll be back eventually with new episodes as soon as I can. But for me, this is the dark that I must explore. Hopefully along the way, I may even find the inspiration to write new music. That's the hope. If you're a patron, don't worry, my Patreon will still be up and running with all of the same tiers and benefits. In fact, putting the podcast on hold gives me even more time to come up with exclusive content for you. We all have something we love to sink our teeth into. It doesn't have to be your job, a source of income, or an obligation. For some of us, maybe it is. But exploration is best when pure whatever that is for you, when it's guided by our hearts. So what will you explore in this time? What stokes the embers of your mind? In this final episode before the break, I brought in a fascinating guest who set out on his own unlikely exploration. He released an incredible book in January that recounts the history of astrology through data and statistics. For the curious mind, this book is a treasure chest of history, geography, Astronomy, etymology, physics, and, it must be said, astrology. But interestingly, its author, like myself, harbors no belief in astrology.
1: My name is Alexander Boxer, I'm a data scientist, and I'm the author of A Scheme of Heaven, The History of Astrology and the Search for Our Destiny in Data. My my background is in, is in physics. I have a PhD in physics from MIT, but I, I've also been interested in the history of science my whole life. I, um, I pursued a master's degree in history of science. It's, 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 this history is something that has interested me my whole life. And at some point, um, you realize that astrology was the ancient world's most ambitious science and math project. And so the thesis of my book is that astrologers... We're the original data scientists for all the good and and bad that that entails. And that it's a way to do two things, right? Writing a book like this is a way to recast the contribution of astrology as um, really this tremendous story of us struggling with these really important questions and struggling with them with numbers and data. It's a story about how do we see patterns and how do we craft narratives for ourselves out of numbers and data. Um, it's at the same time looking at astrology is a mirror for us to reflect upon how we use numbers and data today. Uh, you know, a lot of people maybe don't really think so much about astrology, but we're surrounded by numerical forecasts all the time. And you don't need a long memory at all to to think of some of these you know, really complicated mathematical forecasts, whether it was the 2016 election or the housing crisis, uh, that mathematical forecasts said couldn't couldn't possibly happen, and yet they did. So really, are we any better at predicting the future than, than we've been? And, um, you know, what, what really is this larger story of how we can learn about ourselves with numbers, but also maybe be seduced by numbers? And it seemed like astrology was the the perfect showcase for this.
0: You seem to have written this book at an opportune time. With astrology's rise in popularity, we're finding more people interested in it now than ever on a global scale, which of course finds even more people skeptical of it on a global scale. So where on this spectrum do you fall?
1: So let me put all my cards on the table here. I began this project as an astrology skeptic, and I ended the project also as an astrology skeptic. But it was just a, a wonderful opportunity to explore some really fascinating questions and ideas. And what was driving me was, you know, the, the, the world's most premier scientific institution, the Royal Society in London, the home to Isaac Newton and, and Charles Darwin and all sorts of other characters. The motto of this society is a Latin phrase that I love, and that phrase is nullius in verba. And that means upon the words of no one. And this is sort of almost like the rallying cry of science. And even though astrology is often considered the arch pseudoscience, it seemed to me that this idea applies totally, that I didn't really know that much about astrology. And, you know, it just seems like it's this topic where whether you believe in it or not believe it. It's besides the point. I wanted to know what I could know about it. And everyone has such strong opinions. And I just couldn't find basic answers in all of the sources I was checking. And I wanted to answer certain questions for myself. And I just realized that this was a journey I was going to go on by myself. And I hope that what I've done is of interest and of use to other people who have similar questions. Now, I also want to say that, you know, I absolutely love the name of your podcast, and I think it really gets right to the heart of the matter. Uh, your podcast, Inkblot Astrology, right? The, the Rorschach test and how? Do you, what do you see when you see that inkblot? Uh, if you think of the stars, the word galaxy comes from the Greek word for milk. It's also why we have the Milky Way. Uh, when ancient people looked at the, looked at the sky, what it, the stars looked at to them was splattered milk. Not an inkblot, but a milk blot. And... It, it's the same questions. Well, what does it all mean? And are the stories that really matter most in our lives, you know, these stories about who we are and where we're going, are these stories that we can read in the stars? Or is the real real message that, hey, these are stories that we get to craft ourselves? And I think that, you know, your podcast and and its name get right to the heart of it. And um, I'd also like to ask you a question, which is that, You've mentioned that your interests in astrology are more psychological and that you um, don't necessarily believe that the planets are exerting a physical effect. So maybe my question is, if we're just using the planets as prompts for a narrative or prompts for a way to examine ourselves and our assumptions, why not something maybe more like tarot, which sort of is more open about being simply a random system and and, and doesn't have this, um, let's say, implicit sense that there's a physical connection with the planets.
0: It's so fascinating to note how the show name and your book kind of go together in that way. Um, And uh, I also want to say that it's very true about your book that there is really, there has been no book that I've seen that is anything like it that... Really, you know, respects every corner of the history of astrology as applies to, you know, like the entire world and not just within the astrology community. Um, but yeah, so I guess I chose astrology over tarot or anything else, you know, in a similar vein because I was raised very atheist and it took me a really long time to, unfortunately, to stop being kind of pretentious. Um, and I think like having that background made astrology stick easier for me than other practices only because of its the specific nature of its history and how you know mathematical and um scientific its origins are uh there's just something about it that my my brain you know kind of could latch on to a little a little easier um and i do you know absolutely love anything like astrology such as tarot or other practices that um that inspire us to wonder and that, uh, f- make us feel connected to each other in the world. Um, uh, but at the same time, it's just for me personally, kind of hard to, um, let my mind get too deep into, you know, the more spiritual realms. And I know that, um, a lot of people would argue me on this, but I just find astrology so much less spiritual than all of those, um, other practices, at least in the way that I use it, which is really just, um, You know, as a mirror for self-reflection, and I know that people use tarot and all of these other systems as mirrors for reflection. um, But something about astrology just felt so much more like tangible. It had more handles to hold on to, almost, while I am using it for self-reflection.
1: Well, I think one thing that's just so wonderful about astrology is that it forces you to acknowledge your connection to the wider universe. And you know, against sort of a background of general indifference, I, I just think that that's a already an indication that astrology has this this wonderful power, a real power. You know, it's it's hard to get anyone, whether through science or or other avenues, to just experience and step back and to really take in that wonderful sense that, hey, we are um, a creature of the cosmos and that we're a part of this cosmos and just to to wonder about our connections to it. And so I I I personally am sympathetic in that regard, that yes, astrology is this you know tremendous avenue towards appreciating something something bigger
0: i've seen lately on the internet variations of this meme that basically states that economics is just astrology for men of course gender plays a role in that particular meme format but we're not here to discuss that today in your book you really drive home this idea of economics and astrology being closely related in today's world for listeners, can you elaborate a little on why this contains some truth?
1: Sure. So first, I've never seen that meme, but I actually like it. Because as you mentioned, I think there actually is a connection there. Um, you know, and it all comes back to numerical forecasts, and what we use to make numerical forecasts. And again, my my basic thesis is that astrologers were the ones who were pioneering this. They were the original data scientists. And what do people really want to know? They they want to know about themselves, and they want to know about the future. And so ancient astrologers uh, had been employed in exactly the same tasks that modern data scientists are today, one of them being... Uh, is this going to be a good year for crops, a bad year for crops? Is this going to be a good investment? Uh, uh, is this going to be a bad investment? And it's so fascinating to look at the ancient horoscopes and the ancient texts because they're dealing with, with exactly the same questions. And uh, oftentimes, if you look at modern economics, it's, it's one of these fields where people make these very bold predictions, oftentimes with very complicated mathematics, and they, uh, they fail spectacularly. And so one of the things that originally got me interested in this project was this question, this sort of um, cheeky question of, are we really doing any better at predicting the future than what astrology is doing? Uh, You don't have to have a particularly long memory to remember all of the complicated predictions of the 2016 election, which you know, said with 70 or 90 or in some cases 99% that Donald Trump could never be the president. Well, look at where we are now. Or the 2008 housing crisis, which all of the best economic models said could never happen. And and so it makes you wonder, what is it about this certainty that we place in arguments that are made with numbers? And, you know, astrology just seems to be this fantastic showcase this fantastic field to explore. Here we have, you know, a 2,000-year history of trying to come to grips with how we seduce ourselves with numbers. You know, there's a famous economist, his name's Ezra Solomon from the from the 70s and 80s, and has this great quip that uh, something to the effect of, uh, the only purpose of economic forecasts is to make astrology look respectable. So, right, on the one <laughs> hand, you know, we know that these. We know that it's hard to predict the future. On the other hand, we're willing to to, to just feel like if you can just do it even a little bit, we're we're willing to put some credence in it.
0: Right, and just to for listeners to tie in exactly how astrology might be using you know or you know basically does use these algorithms, is we're first of all tracking uh, the exact you know the time cycles if you will of of the orbits of the planets and the patterns that they make in the sky. And then uh, also, how we are making kind of human associations uh, and predictions that coincide with the planetary arrangements. And so, basically, we're kind of creating, you know, if we see every time, you know, Mars or conjuncts, you know, Pluto or whatever, um, we notice that there's some kind of like, you know, battle or something that breaks out in the world. And so then that's you know allegedly like a compilation of data right that we had noted this recurrence during this planetary alignment and then when it repeats enough times it kind of becomes the astrological interpretation and so we're really just like plugging in like planets and events as data that then creates these algorithms with which astrologers you know, believe that they can perhaps predict or plan for events. Just wanted to make that clear for, for listeners.
1: So the term of art here is is correlation. And correlation is the statistical concept that looks at how closely two lists of numbers rise and fall together. Now, and of course, as everyone knows, the famous phrasing, correlation does not equal causation. And, you know, so the problem here is that if you have enough data, you can kind of cram enough things in and find some signal that's rising and falling in correlation with another signal, let's say the stock market and, and the planets. And so the question is, does this mean anything? Would the correlation continue out into the future? Is there a meaningful basis for it? And so what's interesting about our modern moment in time is that we have these extremely powerful algorithms that look for correlations. And so the question is, is it really any different than just, say, shoving the planets in as your input data? You know, now we, we shove in all sorts of input data. And, and is it really any different or just sort of a souped up version of this? So one thing that was fun in my book was I did a, um, I used a, a modern uh, deep learning algorithm to make a planetary prediction of the price of Bitcoin. So, you know, if, it turns out if you have enough planetary data and, and you look at the history of Bitcoin for the last 10 years, you can make the price match exactly with the right algorithm. And so then you predict it out in the future, because you know where the planets are going to be in the future, and you can, of course, make this very compelling-looking prediction of what the price of Bitcoin would be. However, I, I, I would caution that, um, as they say, past performance is no guarantee of future results. This is, you know, just an example of, again, how we can tell very compelling stories to ourselves using numbers. Stories that maybe are more compelling and more seductive than if there's just words alone. There's something about that mathematical element that makes us feel that the certainty of like a geometric proof somehow carries over into these other things that we're doing with math, numbers, and shapes. But maybe there's a little bit of sleight of hand there.
0: Right. So economics and astrology are similar in that they're both just predictions, but economics receives more Credibility simply because it involves algorithms and figures directly, whereas astrology is. How do I want to right?
1: Exactly, you cannot come up with a difference. That's one of the. That's one of the key questions in my book. Why is something like economics considered respectable, but astrology isn't? A- at some level, aren't they doing almost the exact same thing with, to be frank, much of the exact same track record? And I find these questions fascinating. Why why are people's emotions so sharp about astrology in a way that they're not about economics? And I find these questions fascinating because these sort of fissures reveal all sorts of things about our assumptions about what is science and what isn't science. How do we know what we know and who do we trust? And these are sort of questions that at some level are beside the question of science, beside the question of observing the world and trying to understand how it works. And yet, they're inescapable too. We are humans, and and we live in a network of other humans. And uh, you know, I think astrology, because it exists, kind of on the on the boundary of, of it's on the like the, it's on the other side of the fence of respectable. But it mirrors science in so many ways um, that the people who are constantly trying to build this fence uh, run out of explanations about why astrology is different. Well, they both use observations of the natural world. They both make mathematical models. You know, they both uh, try and test their results. And so it's this fascinating, it's this fascinating thing that tells you uh, not only about astrology, but it tells you about, uh, about science too.
0: In ancient astrology, without the help of telescopes, we only knew of seven planetary bodies. The Sun, the Moon, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. They also used the rising sign. In a chapter of your book, you investigate your curiosity for just how often the specific planetary arrangement in someone's classic natal chart might repeat. To do this, you created a numerical system which includes what you term Z codes, short for Zodiac codes. This system assigns each birth chart its own eight-digit ID tag. For example, you drew one up for the exact time of this interview. The code is A9A1229-7, which translated says that Saturn is in Aquarius, Jupiter is in Capricorn, Mars is in Aquarius, the Sun is in Taurus, Venus and Mercury are in Gemini, the Moon is in Capricorn, and the Ascendant is Scorpio. According to your data, the last time the planets were configured in exactly this way was on Saturday, June 7th in the year 4953 BC. It really makes one stop and consider just how unique and beautiful a moment can be. What did you learn in creating the Z-code system and what do you hope others can pull from it?
1: So the, the Z-code system was one of the most fun little explorations in my book. And I would say it was the number one question that I had when I wanted to know more about astrology that I couldn't find answered In anything that I read, what seemed to me a simple question, how unique is a horoscope? Now, if you just group everybody by their their sun sign, Aries, Taurus, uh, etc., then, of course, we're stuck with the the situation where we have to group all of humanity into just 12 groups. And, you know, I, I think... Both people who don't believe in astrology and even people who do believe in astrology say, "Well, that's not that's not really the the end of the story. That's that that's hard to swallow." And in fact, professional astrology, both in modern times and ancient times, is much more complicated than that. And so I wanted to say, okay, using let's say a typical more complicated horoscope, how many are there? And you know, there's variations, but certainly if you go back to the ancient world. This format was an extremely common format. We have actually lots of horoscopes that survive from antiquity, you know, around the, the Roman Empire times, sort of Greek and Roman times. It's actually one of the uh, primary artifacts we have left over about ancient math and science are these horoscopes. And they tend to look at just those seven bodies, and they give them the whole zodiac sign. And what's interesting about, let's say, the Z-code uh, format is that in and of itself, it also includes every possible aspect between the signs. So by listing the zodiac sign that everything can be in, you're also listing all the aspects, too. And it turns out that if you go down this route, the answer you get is there's about 45 million possible horoscopes that take into consideration the seven classical celestial bodies, Uh, and that includes the, the rising sign. Now... What's interesting about the the rising sign of course is that in modern astrology this is typically known as the ascendant a term that many people would be familiar with but I bet even more people are familiar with its ancient Greek name the ancient Greek name for the rising sign is the horoscope it was the rising sign that was almost the the key quantity here it was the one that really measured a moment in time, because it's changing. You have all 12 signs that rise during the day, so it's measuring about every two hours that rising sign is going to change sign. That horoscope will change. And so this becomes the, you know, the sort of key indicator of a moment. Now, going back and you say, okay, there's, there's 45 million possible, let's say, complicated horoscopes. That's not really that big of a number. We know there's seven. Plus billion people alive today. And, you know, even more, uh, I think something like 400,000 people are born every day. And so what you end up with is even if you were to specify it to this level of detail, you're still sharing this horoscope, which maybe is your, your birth horoscope, um, you know, with with 30 plus thousand people. So even at this level of specificity, are is your fate the same as another group of 30,000 people. You know, uh, who knows? That to me seemed a little hard to swallow. But in the way that I just thought that this project was so much fun and that you can find wonder anywhere if you're willing to look for it. So I wanted to look at how often these horoscopes repeat because I wanted to compare uh, modern people born with a particular horoscope with ancient people born with the same horoscope. But it, it turns out that the frequency with which these things repeat is extremely rare it's 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 thousands of years uh or potentially or potentially never and so this idea that hey just looking at this one moment in time allows you to zoom out and realize that hey it's not just another monday right the last time the planets were arranged this way could be thousands of years ago it it kind of lets you focus on how special every moment is and I think that that's just kind of the key wonder of astrology to me at all, is that it gets you to think about the wider universe and larger periods of time. And, you know, again, against this sense that for the most part, most people don't ever think about these things, I think astrology is really magical in this way.
0: Your book highlights some fascinating facts about astrology's influence on the world. For example, it's thousands of years old, and for a time, the astrologer, astronomer, and mathematician were all one in the same to varying degrees. To study the stars initially included studying how we could translate their alleged impact on earthly events. From there, the names and ordering of our days of the week, as well as our 24-hour system for tracking time, and even the face of clocks as we know them today, and all of these things, astrology played its part. Shakespeare philosophized about the effects of the stars. Even common words and phrases like consider and mazel tov trace their roots back to astrology. And yet we find little sympathy for or even acknowledgement of this history. It appears that today's average citizen of Earth believes astrology to simply be a newspaper horoscope that groups the entire population of Earth into 12 groups, which if you're a listener of this podcast, you probably know that astrology is much more complex than that. As a non-astrologer Alex, how do you perceive astrology's place in the world?
1: It's it's a way to take a step back and give us a bigger perspective on, you know, what is it about this need that we have to see patterns and you know, astrology offers us just such this rich this this rich showcase for for how we've been doing this for so long. I also think astrology serves a very useful role in all of these arguments um, you know that are primarily on the on the science side about what is a science and what isn't. Because uh, astrology if you kind of go and tick off the boxes of you know what a science is supposed to be, you know, does it is it based on observations of the physical world? Does it use mathematics? Does it try and create models? Uh, astrology does so many of these things, and yet people uh, are, are so strenuous to insist that astrology can't be a science. And now I happen to, to um, a- agree that astrology hasn't really made its case, but I think it's important for people who just like to argue and, and sort of make teams and make camps, you know, well, what, what is it that... Um, you know, science or especially some of these social sciences like economics is doing that is somehow really that different than astrology. It's a way for us to maybe examine some of our own assumptions or, or you know, a little bit more carefully. And and again, astrology just has this tremendously rich history and, and background that those of us, you know, who are who are interested in our modern world and modern science, it it makes no sense to cut astrology out of the story. It's played such an important role.
0: There was an article published in 1975 titled Objections to Astrology that was basically an authoritarian manifesto signed by 192 scientists hellbent on proving to the world that astrology is a farce. Not only did I find its arguments base and reductive to the astrological community, but it has the most arrogant tone imaginable. Carl Sagan, beloved and renowned astrophysicist, was asked to add his name to it, but refused. As I learned from your book, his reasoning is particularly admirable. Can you please do the honors of explaining his position?
1: Yeah, and this is, you know, one of the episodes in, in the story that I just found so wonderful. But yeah, you, you had it right. Carl Sagan thought the manifesto was authoritarian. And more importantly, he's making these arguments that... Uh, were, were arguments that also made me want to write this book, that almost all the arguments you hear against astrology are that it can't be true because we have no way of describing how it could possibly be true. And yet all you have to do is look at any episode of the history of science to know that this is an argument that holds no water. Uh, at first they said the earth couldn't be in motion around the sun, and and sure enough, it, you know, they it, it discovered that it is. Uh, you know, they it, Look at quantum mechanics. They said that couldn't be true. Even something like the platypus, uh, that couldn't possibly exist until they discover one and it exists. But I think you know Carl Sagan, who was so in tune with, you know, that what we're really looking for is we're looking to the universe as a source of wonder. And he never made any secret of the fact that that was his motivation, and it's one reason that he and 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 also I turned to the physical sciences as a way to kind of um, quench this thirst for for wanting to to see wonder in the universe. And 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 I think when you come from that background, people who pursue astrology uh, make perfect sense. Or it's I'm, I'm very sympathetic to people who have chosen to their their path to wonder you know also is going through the stars and through the cosmos it just happens to be going on this other path and i'm totally sympathetic to that and i think carl and carl sagan um carl sagan was too and i think it was one thing that made him such a gifted communicator that he just he just understood where where these where people are coming from and i think it's one of the reasons why this debate over astrology is such a unique debate because it's not a debate at the end of the day about which truth is true, let's say. It's really a debate about where you can find wonder. And I think when you frame it that way, um, you know, that the stakes somehow become less. We're all looking for the same thing. And the thing I've always admired the most about Carl Sagan is that he was able to have this just incredibly deep sense of wonder, while at the same time being a very open and and, and avid proponent of being skeptical.
0: To finish here, I want to take a moment to talk philosophy with you. There's been a debate since the 1970s about what exactly astrology is or how it should be used. Is it spiritual, psychological, or something else? After reading this book, I feel that the next frontier of astrology must be one that includes a blend of realism, and here we're going to call realism, statistics, really to highlight that you know astrology does not have, we'll say the word proof, I guess, as blunt as that may be, um, psychology, and to cover the more esoteric branch, wonder especially as collective psychological despair grows in our present times of global crises. What can't be denied about astrology is that those who use it have found comfort in it, and for this reason, I believe it deserves a seat at the table. The dream is this, that scientific communities respect astrology's place in history and modern psychology, and that the astrological community appreciate and acclimate to the findings of science and statistics. Astrology and astronomy were once one and the same, and in separating into two very different studies, they now, in a way, represent the left brain and right brain, and a human needs both to survive, right? So, how can the dialogue shift to one that offers compassion and understanding to all sides of the astrology debate, so that humans might evolve beyond this very frustrating conversation?
1: So that's, a, that's an incredible question, and you know, when I wrote my book, it was in a sense from a, from a position of here's this just wonderful multi-generational pageant of people trying to understand our place in the universe and trying to understand, you know, wh- where where we're going to go, our connections to each other. So I really like your idea that uh, astrology has a value in that it is a door for so many people to experience wonder. Now, I, I would caution against, you know, the statistical side of it. I think in the 20th century, A lot of astrologers turn to statistics to to try and look at it in this way. And and the truth is, you know, I think there's less there than than meets the eye. But, uh, you know, thinking about where astrology can go and, you know, how it's been with us for so long, it's because the questions that it's asking are actually really important questions. And the wonder that it's channeling is actually a really important part of who we are. Now, I, at the conclusion of my book, was, you know, asking myself, where is astrology going to go? And, you know, if if you think about it, astrology probably should have disappeared, you know, many times in the past. Uh, It started out as this sort of deeply mathematical deterministic view of, hey, uh, Mars here means this. And it's evolved into so many different ways. And the fact that it can shapeshift like that, I think indicates that there's something deeper going on, that there's a deeper human... Uh, force that, that, that's happening and, and having us um, see these, these connections and look at the world in this way. And one of the things actually I, th- I found really, really fun about my book was I, I asked the question well, what happens even when we start colonizing other planets? What would our horoscopes even look like? You know, can astrology survive us leaving Earth? I, I computed a horoscope from the moon. You know what what does it mean if you're looking at the sky from the moon and you have the earth in Aries? Astrologers and have never really had to deal with that question before, but if astrology is going to survive, you know that that's something that somebody's going to have to figure out. And looking at the the history of astrology and how it has survived, the only conclusion that I can draw is that astrology's future, uh, whatever it is, is is one that hasn't yet been written.
0: some words i want to leave you guys with as i head out into the dark but first please allow me to thank alexander boxer for sitting down with me you can find his book a scheme of heaven the history of astrology and the search for our destiny in data on amazon you can also visit his website alexboxer.com for a digital astrolabe which helps manually calculate your very own z code for a specific date you choose I also want to express my deepest gratitude for Hooligan Magazine and our collaborations this year. You can keep up with them at hooliganmagazine.com as they keep the art community connected digitally during this strange time. For more Inkblot Astrology content and to book a reading with me, visit inkblotastrology.com or on social media at inkblot underscore astro. If you haven't yet joined the Inkblot Patreon, you can do so at patreon.com slash inkblot astrology, where patrons receive monthly mini readings, personalized postcards, and other perks. For current and past patrons, I thank you so much for supporting over the last year. I may return sooner than you think for podcast episodes, but until then, I'll still be available to you on Instagram and Patreon. So before I go, let me share some thoughts with you on astrology and its place in today's world. Mankind is always trying to push forward in the universe, learning as much as possible, discovering as much as it can. Our evergreen question seems to be, in which direction can humanity expand the most? Is it science? Is it religion? Is it something we aren't yet aware of, or maybe can't even comprehend? The thing is that we don't know. So it's important for people to continue exploring everything. Every lead, every tip, every branch under every umbrella of study. Of course, it's too much for any one person to investigate everything. So instead, we have subscribers of one thing or another, and it creates dispute among them. I try to respect and appreciate it all, and in doing so, I like to think that astrology specifically has brought me, as a consulting astrologer, to a place in a scheme to help people process and make sense of their experience on earth. Astrology may be simply the tool and not the answer, but like the chicken or the egg riddle, I couldn't have used astrology as my tool if it hadn't first inspired me to wonder about it. Whether astrology is science, religion, psychology, or some blend, I can't say. All I can say is that in small, beautiful ways, astrology has helped myself and others recognize patterns in themselves, the people around them, and in the movements of the planets. If I could make one wish involving the future of astrology, then maybe I'll do so now. It's simply that people could respect not only its history, but its new place in the world. A beautiful, imperfect mirror which humans can visit in an attempt to comprehend the meaning of life. But the other thing about astrology today is that given our developments in science, physics, and statistics, astrology must recognize its own flaws. I don't think there should be a crisis or dissolution within the astrological community. I think there should be a rejoining of it with its more science-based counterparts. What I'm saying is I don't think the planets are impacting us in the slightest. But I think that's okay. I think it's okay to accept that there have been chart studies throughout the years to try and prove the planets impact us, and those studies never succeed. That's okay. Because even if the planets aren't doing anything to us at all, we've still been able to use astrology as a light to guide us in our lives. Astrology is like a shot of whiskey before a battle. It gives us the pluck to carry ourselves into another day where anything can happen. In fact, in acknowledging that astrology cannot always, if ever, accurately predict something, we can instead use it as a guide to be the prediction we want. In accepting the flaws of astrology, in accepting that the planets don't control our destiny, we can flip the planets on their heads and use them to create our own destiny. Or at least, we can try. More practically put, here are some ways to begin this new era I'm proposing. If you are challenged by someone who seems closed off to astrology, especially in an arrogant or reductive way, be kind to them. Don't return their attitude. And also don't just write them off as a non-believer. After all, we have literally no definitive proof that astrology is, air quotes, real. But you can share with them how it's helped you and why it's meaningful for others. That is enough. That's all the reason you need. And if you're a skeptic who criticizes the idea of astrology, that's okay too, and I really do understand. But if you find yourself in an astrological conversation, be kind and try to understand that while there's no solid evidence that astrology is, air quotes, real, there is also so much in the world that we don't know yet or understand. To quote Alex Boxer's book, "...but so long as science based its findings on the measurable universe only," why should its conclusions have any validity in the unmeasurable universe beyond? History has shown just how many times we've been embarrassingly off with our understanding of the universe. You don't have to believe the planets are doing anything to us, but I ask of you to both understand that it helps people understand the human experience, and moreover, it gives us the inspiration to wonder, to contemplate what we don't understand yet, to imagine fantastical possibilities, Astrology and esoteric studies give life color. It makes things feel less harsh and sterile. It connects us to the beauty of life. Just as the expanding universe may excite you, or the endless possibilities endorsed by NASA, astrology too excites us. It's that whiskey shot that gives us the strength to face these explorations that scientists hope to carry out in space. We couldn't possibly find reason to venture into outer space if we didn't first and foremost believe that life is mysterious and beautiful and worth sustaining. No matter what side of the debate you fall on, I ask you to listen to each other and entertain possibilities. Statistics and the immeasurable universe show us that anything is possible. I'm heading out on my own psychology-slash-astrology explorations now as I open my consulting practice. I hope to return soon to update you and provide more astrological conversation when the time is right. But until then, don't lose your way out there. If you find yourself lost, you can always explore the dark.